to the Hear Me Out Sports Talk podcast. Josh Pose, Nick Palazzolo with you. We will talk March Madness, Chicago Bears football. They're making a lot of moves. Khalil Mack got traded. Should we look at Robert Quinn to be traded soon? Baseball is officially back. The lockout is lifted. But what does that mean for the Cubs and the Sox? We'll preview their seasons and uh, the strengths and weaknesses of both teams. And we will start off first with Brian Tonsoni of uh, the Assembly Call podcast and Delphi uh, Bracketology. He will join us uh, to preview March Madness and all things college basketball. All that and more is coming up next here on the Hear Me Out Sports Talk podcast. We now welcome in Brian Tonsoni of the Assembly Call podcast and Delphi Bracketology. You can follow him on Twitter at Sony42. Brian, first of all, we want to thank you for your time. Hey, it's always an honor to be on your show, and it's just great to have a, a March Madness back after a couple years of, of COVID interruption where there was no tournament, and then last year where there wasn't a complete season and everything was in one spot. Now this is back to normal with all the different locations and the fans, and it's just an exciting time uh, to get back to something that we love. And Brian, before we get started with the March Madness, I, I need to congratulate you on the honor of being the first ever guest to make a reoccurring appearance on our podcast so thank you you're, you're very welcome you guys are the best i i, I really <laughs> enjoy uh you guys the last time i was on and, and getting to meet josh uh at a few iu events um and looking forward to working with him uh, as he goes to iu uh helping us out a little bit writing and doing some other things so i can come on and keep being a reoccurring guest as much as you as you want <laughs> Uh, so, Brian, let's start with uh, let's just start with the Big Ten tournament uh, before we get into the whole field of 68. Uh, just what were your uh, were you surprised by anything that happened in the Big Ten tournament? You know, uh, both Illinois and Wisconsin. I'm a Wisconsin fan. They both got knocked out early. Just what are your initial thoughts on the, uh, how the Big Ten tournament played out? The Big Ten, it, it, it's a good conference. And, and so I think anyone can beat anyone at, at any time. And a couple teams got hot. Uh, Iowa was just incredible uh, in the tournament They they are so effective offensively. And when they play some semblance of defense, which they're not known for, uh, they are a very dangerous team. I think they'll be in the NCAA tournament. Uh, the, the only uh, protected seed to win in the Friday night games was, was Purdue and Purdue was a favorite, uh, at the beginning of the season. It's just, it's just really good basketball. And, and even the teams that were seated, you know, nine through 14 are capable of winning at least a game. And then that throws the whole bracket into a disarray. It's, it's not one where the, you know, the top seeds automatically advance like in some conferences. So I thought it was well-played. I thought the games were fantastic. A lot of close games. The only game that really wasn't close uh, after the, the, the first night was the Iowa performance. And that was an incredible game because of the points they put up against uh, Northwestern. So yeah, it was, it was really good. I, I enjoyed the crowds, uh, the energy again, as I mentioned in the opening, uh, it was good to, to be back in an environment uh, that uh, was something that I've seen for a long time uh, with fans enjoying uh, the college basketball game. So coach, we're on the topic of conference tournaments and I just watched uh, Buzz Williams at Texas A&M give a heartfelt speech. It was about seven minutes and 
his team went all the way to the final, lost to Tennessee in the SEC championship game down in Tampa. How much does the committee actually look at these conference tournaments, and especially on Sunday with the, with the SEC tournament being on Sunday? Yeah, they had a contingency plan. If Texas A&M, yeah, if Texas A&M would have won, they had a contingency plan. And, and what they did is they said if they win, they're in. If they're not, they're they're not in. What what we find, and we didn't we didn't score as well at bracketology this uh, this year because we were just off one seed line in a lot of picks seven through twelve. We had Texas A&M in. We sometimes put too much emphasis on the conference tournaments because you just get caught up in in some of those runs. But what happened was Texas A&M was uh, four or five, six teams out of the bracket and winning two or three was not enough to equal their resume to teams that were closer to the bracket. You know, they went to a championship game and didn't get selected. Indiana got beat in the semifinals and got selected. That's because Indiana was in a better position leading into the tournament. Some of it is, guys, the process. They vote on Tuesday and Wednesday and they get the top six seeds in. And then probably by Thursday night and early Friday, those top six or seven seeds are pretty set. Uh, and that's frustrating to a lot of fans because, uh, you know, if every game matters in the body of work, then those last games should matter too. a team like Tennessee who wins the SEC versus a team like Duke who loses early. When you really compare what those wins did to the resume, Tennessee's resume was better for, for a two seed line, but it's the process. We, we have to do a better job to score better in our tournament. We dropped out of the top uh, of the, the bracket matrix this year because we, we scored the average number of points. Uh, and, and we made a few changes on the back end because of those tournaments. They turned out to be wrong. But I think that's, that's a, a fair criticism of the committee. But they, they want to do things right, and so there's a time frame. And really, the conferences should play their conference tournaments earlier if they want them to be considered by, by the tournament, but the money speaks. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go based off on that. Um, let's take a look at Michigan because I, I know right when the uh, brackets were released, Josh, I, 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 I have to, um, you know, when the brackets were released, a lot of people saw, uh, were surprised to see Michigan punching their ticket, especially. And I was texting with Josh earlier. I was like, I found it just as a very casual, casual college basketball fan to find it odd for Indiana to be in a play-in, but Michigan um, to get the 11 seed. Where did you guys have uh, Michigan in, in your rankings, and how do you think Michigan got in over Indiana? Yeah, I, they were very close in our rankings. We had Indiana a little bit ahead of Michigan because we normally like to see a team four games over. The trend has been teams – three games or five over 500 or less have been left out. Uh, that trend did not uh, stay this year. They, they allowed Michigan in, but Michigan had a game canceled because of COVID by a quad four. They probably would have been four games over. Uh, they had a COVID pause where they had to end up playing like five games in eight days. I think those things aren't official criteria, but the committee does talk about them. And Michigan had some good wins. And the thing that the committee really likes is teams who schedule strong, in the non-conference because the teams can control that. They can't control the strength of a conference. They can't control the conference unbalanced schedules, but Michigan challenged themselves and some of their losses were because they challenged themselves early as opposed to Indiana had a 300 some non-conference schedule. That's the reason at the end that some of those teams uh, were higher than what we thought. We, we missed on North Carolina. We had North Carolina 10 seed in our bracket group. They were an eight. 
had a really good strength of schedule. So I think in on seed line seven, eight, nine, ten in the bubble, you want to have played people. Uh, yes, you want to win games, but Michigan had a nice combination. They won some nice games. They beat a team like Purdue pretty handily. They had some other nice wins on the road at Ohio State without their star player. Those ga- those were nice wins that show they could play uh, with anyone. They beat a San Diego State team that was an eight seed. And they had a good strength of schedule. So I think the committee, uh, despite the early loss, that's, again, the conference tournament doesn't matter. Everyone sees that Indiana beat them, but Michigan beat Indiana at Indiana by 18 points. That game was considered to be equally important as uh, the game uh, at Gamebridge. So we're talking first four, last four in. And yesterday, the, the ratings just came out today or yesterday, but depending on when Nick sends this podcast out, the Indiana-Wyoming game is most watched NCAA first four Tuesday game ever. Uh, I know the NCAA might not do this. I, I want to get your take on this. Was Indiana in the f- first four for ratings purposes? No, I, there are things I disagree with the, the committee, and it's basically um, I don't think they take the whole – amount of data wins losses strength of schedule net and compare we we look at all of it and try to pick out the team that has the best averages in all of those i would wish the committee would do that that's my number one complaint i think at the end they they pick rutgers because they had nice wins but everything else rutgers had was really really bad they picked notre dame because they scheduled strong but they didn't have a lot of wins so they so in in that maybe we just need to do a better job of understanding that in our contest is next year our last four we're not looking at the body of work we're going to look at little pieces and pop a team in here and pop a team in there that's my main complaint but when studying uh i used to really not like what the committee did before i became a bracketologist uh and, and then you realize like i said we didn't score extremely well but we had every team 65 teams one seed line off so uh, or, or correct. We had 42 or 43, absolutely correct. And 23, 22, 23, whatever those numbers are. So it's right in the ballpark. So I understand what the committee was looking at. There were just some times where they took wins over schedule and then they took schedule and then they took net. The consistency is uh, my issue, but I don't think they sit there and say, let's keep an Indiana in so we can draw fans uh, to Dayton arena uh, and do those things. I, I think, these are very good professional commissioners and athletic directors. If there's any fault, it's in the process of when they vote. Uh, they start on Tuesday, Wednesday night. So some of it's done before the last games. And I think that they get, um, you know, when you get 12 people, maybe that's the thing. They're not all on the same page of what's important. So you have seven people who like wins and five people who like strength of schedule. That vote's going to come out that way. Uh, I have really been respectful of the committee's work over the years. Um, I know it's a uh, popular with media. This team got snubbed and, 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 and so forth. And I know coach at Texas A&M, I like Buzz Williams a lot. He's passionate for his team and it hurts when you have a nice run and you think you're in and you're not in uh, and he's defending his team, but someone has to be left out. And, and I think the committee every year, when I go back and look at what we missed or what we disagreed with the committee, I find some reason why they did what they did. And it kind of makes sense, even if I don't agree with it. And that I can respect. Brian, you mentioned teams getting left out. Let's talk about uh, maybe a surprise team. You, you think the committee the committee let in the tournament um, that you didn't think uh, there, there was just a better option. there. 
Yeah, for me, it's it, it's Rutgers, even though I'm rooting for Rutgers tonight. I, Big Ten, I, I like Coach Pico. I think he does a good job. I had a great opportunity. I got Big Ten media passes in November at the, uh, down in Indianapolis, and they have little um, small stages where coaches are. And I was at the stage where Pico was before all the other media came. So I got to talk to him one-on-one. And, and you don't normally do that when you're in Indiana and, and they're out in New Jersey. What an outstanding person. What an outstanding coach. Uh, had some great ideas about the challenge of building Rutgers. So I, I'm a big fan of Rutgers, but the only metric that they w- were good at was they had two weeks of good wins. And, and I guess that's okay to have them in because that shows they're capable of winning in the tournament. And I really am okay with that. But if you're going to have the net be a part of it, if you're going to have strength of schedule be part of it, if you're going to have road wins be part of the official criteria, then I think you need to look at every team that way. Um, and, and you got to produce from game one to game 31. You just can't have a hot streak of two. That would be the surprise team for me. Notre Dame's resume was very weak, but I do understand their strength of schedule. Uh, I would have popped uh, Texas A&M in. I think Xavier, even though they lost late, you know they just replaced their coach. Uh, body of work. It doesn't matter when you get the wins. It matters the wins that you get. Uh, I thought they had enough wins in a very tough uh, Big East conference. Uh, to deserve those are the two teams we missed on yeah so brian on friday i will be making the uh the drive up to milwaukee to watch all four games uh up in milwaukee uh you know you mentioned it uh in the open about you know the first time in a couple years where i just having full fans how big of an impact do you think the fans are going to have on these games or because it's such a a broad ticket you know fan bases don't travel as well or uh, where, where do you draw, uh, where do you stand on, uh, you know, the, the crowd impact during March Madness? I, I think it just brings a level of energy and juice to the, to the players. You got the bands, the competing bands. You don't normally have that. It's not necessarily a home court advantage, although uh, Purdue being in Milwaukee, um, Wisconsin being in Milwaukee, you're going to have more of those fans in the building. I think that does help, but I think, I think crowds matter. Uh, it was interesting to watch the football during COVID, the basketball during COVID when there weren't fans. And, and I think it's uh, it does impact the game. I think getting back to a March Madness the way it was, um, A, could have a positive effect on people that use that energy, and B, it can be a little stressful and, and teams can play uh, a little tight. I, I thought the IU game, uh, both teams, Wyoming and IU, were tight for about 10 minutes in, in that atmosphere. So it can work both ways. That might have been 40 minutes of tight. That was some, <laughs> some bad basketball, if I'm going to be 100% honest. It was bad bad about, offensive bad offensive basketball, but from a defensive-minded coach here, I, I thought it oh, was yeah. outstanding on both sides. I mean, it was it was a perfect game if you're a defensive guy. That's right. Uh, when you talked, you talked about Wisconsin being in Milwaukee and Purdue being in Milwaukee. Purdue was on track to be in Indianapolis for the first weekend in – I was in uh, I was in Indy last weekend. Indiana Purdue get a major home court advantage in Indianapolis. How much does it hurt Matt Painter's team? Um, it's some. I I think it would really benefit them if they were the three seed. They were ranked behind Tennessee in the in the pecking order on the three seed line, and Tennessee's miles are closer than than Pittsburgh or wherever else Tennessee could have been assigned to. And then Kentucky, I think, isn't Kentucky. Who's the other team in Indianapolis? Oh, as I'm looking. Kentucky. Yeah, Kentucky was the two seed, um, and they got to go to Indianapolis, and then you just work your way down, and, and the, the best seed gets to go the closest location. 
Tennessee was slightly ahead. So yeah, I think it hurts uh, Purdue, but Milwaukee's not bad. I have several people from down here that are going to make it. It's a three, four hour drive. I think Purdue's going to be well represented up there uh, and that'll help as well. Brian, you're a bracketologist. You put in all the math and all of the time and all the data into filling out, a, filling in a bracket where you think teams should be. But let's talk about your process about actually filling out the bracket once it comes out. Is there a certain stat or a certain metric you look at um, when it comes to picking games, or is it more of just a feel? Iowa, Virginia Tech, those are two teams really hot right now, both two teams I really like um, to make a run. But is there a certain metric that, that you like when, when filling out your bracket? I, I'm going to tell you some metrics that I would like, but what happens is when the bracket comes out on Selection Sunday, I'm so fried from putting all that stuff together that it takes me a little time, and I just go by, okay, I like this team, or this is what I've watched all year. Um, I don't put the amount of research into offensive efficiency, defensive efficiency, but if you did, and, and if anyone's listening to this and, uh, and you got time to go make some picks or, or whatever you do with this information – I think I think defensive efficiency wins games. I think the teams that are on Ken Palm, uh, the top 20 or 30 defensive efficiencies are teams that are going to have a better chance of winning multiple games. That's why I think Purdue is going to struggle to get far in the tournament because they str they're struggling defensively. That's why Indiana can pop a game or two. I think their offense is not as good, and that's going to catch up to them once the competition gets really outstanding if they get to a UCLA or they get to a Baylor if they're fortunate enough to do that. I don't know if they can win consistently without good offense, but if you have defense, you're going to be in every game, and a turnover here or a missed free throw here or, or a big shot that's not expected here can – can win games. I think free throw shooting is important. You want teams that when you're up three or four in the clutch situation, uh, they can knock down some free throws and, and win a game. Every game is going to be a grind. I also would look at rebounding percentages. I think teams that finish first shot defensive percentages uh, or first possessions with, with good rebounding and offensive rebounding for extra possessions on the offensive end, I think those teams generally win. So if you had a good free throw shooting team, uh, you have a good rebounding team and a good defensive team, uh, I think those are the teams that you want to pick uh, in your pools or, I don't know, you guys are too young to wager. But, uh, you know, if, if your parents or something want some wagering tips. So, Coach, you mentioned Indiana. Nick, let me splurge for a second. Uh, it was February 26th of last year we talked with you. And we talked about firing Archie Miller. Mike Woodson comes in. Now all the national talk is did Indiana pay $10 million to get worse because it was Mike Woodson. How would you grade Mike Woodson's first year now that he's in the field of 64 with Indiana? Yeah, I, I, I have had some questions about Coach Woodson's in-game strategy over the, the course of the year. But I think it's got to be graded a success. I would say a B, a B plus. I think the overall attitude of bringing the Indiana fans back together to the old tradition has been great. I think recruiting it has been a really good mark for, for Coach Woodson. Obviously, getting to the tournament has been good. The team has not given up. You haven't seen long losing streaks like we did in the, in the past. I'm not a big fan of the, uh, of the offense. I thought his offense would be a little more fluid. But, Josh, it's come back since the Wisconsin game. Indiana's had more player movement, more ball movement, and, and X has taken over and had seven assists, nine assists, 12 assists. You see more moving of those uh, pieces, which has made the offense a lot better. It was at 118 in Ken Palm offensive efficiency. It's all the way down to 91. 
that's a huge gain in a span of six or seven games. So I think someone said they're like a top 50 offense uh, in the last five or six games. Uh, and, and, you know, so I, I think maybe coach needed some time to adjust to some of the nuances of the college game. Uh, and you understand that at any level, uh, if you coach high school and then you go to college, you got to adapt to that. If, if you're a, a big school, high school coach, and you go down to a rural, small school coach, you're going to, you got to adapt to that. So I think some of that was in play, but overall, I think coach Woodson's done a good job. I've come a long way, uh, a little skeptical during that losing streak and, and, and some of the offensive scheme. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with the job that he's done overall. Brian, uh, I want to ask you about Indiana. You mentioned, you mentioned coach Woodson, you know, just being able to make adjustments in season mid game. Is there anything else that you can point to uh, that maybe have, has been holding this Indiana team back? Because like, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a, I'm just as casual, as casual as a basketball <laughs> fan as you can get. Um, but, but I did expect a, just a little bit more out of Indiana. Was there something just on the roster that you felt uh, just that just could have been better this whole season? Yeah, I thought the roster was going to be better than what it is. I don't think the roster is a solid Big Ten roster. Uh, and I think the number one thing is athletically. I think in order to compete in the Big Ten, your Wisconsin team does a great job, and I'm not making fun of, of, of their players, but, uh, uh, you know, they're not extremely athletic. And they that's okay. They recruit to that. Their system takes advantage of that, and they beat people because of that because they're fundamentally strong. Um but the question for your Wisconsin Badgers is how far can they go? You're having a great year because of Johnny Davis, who can just elevate score. He's a closer. He's kind of like IU was for Illinois. That ha Wisconsin hasn't had for a while. But Indiana doesn't have that explosive kind of player that Johnny Davis is. And, and so you rely on a post-up, which is easy to guard at times with doubles and triples or makes it difficult. Uh, and, and when you, um, you had stationary players – uh, you have some players that aren't uh, second side drivers. That's why Trey Galloway plays a lot. When, when the ball gets driven and kicked out, he can redrive it again, but Trey Galloway can't shoot. Then you got guys who can shoot or supposedly can shoot, but they can't drive. So I think the roster is somewhat flawed. And that's another reason why I applaud coach Woodson. I think he's got 21 wins uh, we're in the, the tournament. Uh, and I think he realized some of the guys that, that he had come back and that he got in the transfer portal uh, aren't as good as Jalen Hood, Shafino, and, and and Caleb Banks and CJ Gunn, some athletes that can do multiple things uh, athletically. So uh, I think down the down the line, uh, Coach Woodson's scheme is going to be a lot easier to implement. So you talk about supposedly being able to shoot, and Indiana <laughs> fans know the ghost of M. Fitzner still lives on. Right. He went what what two months without making a three. Yeah. But with 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 Miller Cop and Parker Stewart, is that just a competence thing or is it just, it's not in capability because. For the longest thing, I think it was a scheme issue. And this is where I had issue with coach Woodson because they weren't moving the help. You got to move the defenders and then you move them and then you hope they make a mistake and then you can drive. They're better catch and shoot guys than off the move. So you, you screening for them for a catch and shoot is probably not the greatest idea but moving them and cutting them and hopefully their defenders get lost and then over help. That's when you, you kick it out and you can hit open shots. Uh, early on, they shot a lot better and then defenses were just locking down on them and daring X to shoot. Um, and, and 
once X started scoring and then being a distributor, you started seeing things get a little better overall, but then the shooting has gone away because they weren't getting a lot of shots. Uh, and that's because the defense had taken it away. And that's because it was easy to find them because they just stood in corners, but you're seeing a lot more player movement, a lot more, what do we call false motion up at the top, the weave, uh, the ball screens, the staggered doubles away. Uh, that's moving the shooters and hopefully causing the defense some, some struggle. So I think those guys are good shooters. I think Parker Stewart's still shooting a decent percentage. He just doesn't, you know, get a lot of shots and shooters are rhythm guys that, you know, they need a certain amount of shots and it's, it's a tough thing when you got a post player, you want to have touches all the time and then your point guards playing really well. So he's going to use the possessions a lot. Your shooters aren't getting a lot of shots, but uh, good shooters need volume. And it's just one of those uh, issues right now that we're not getting enough shots for those guys to get in their rhythm and they get two shots and miss. And then everyone's, you know, on Twitter telling them they're, they suck as shooters because they missed only two opportunities. Um, I think they're okay shooters. I don't think they're great shooters, but I think they're better than, than what's happened. And I, I think some of it has been the offensive scheme, but that's changed here a little bit. I think they're getting a little bit better opportunities lately. Uh, let's talk about, uh, let's uh, focus back on the tournament. Is there a team or a player that you're just excited to watch is like, I want, I want that guy on TV one like that. Like if you have a multiple TV setup, that's the guy, or that's the team you want to go uh, on the big screen. I mean, you yeah. can see that basement, there's definitely more than one TV. Absolutely. I got uh, three TVs on direct TV and I got a Roku on my, uh, on a monitor as well. So I have a lot of games on there. There, there are some teams that, that I'm really interested to see play that Murray state San Francisco matchup is one that I think is really going to be outstanding. I, I like um, what San Francisco does uh, in, in the, in their program. Um, I'm a big Illinois fan in the big 10. I know you're not supposed to like anyone besides your team. Um, uh, I like coach Underwood. I mean, he's a throwback, uh, a scream at you, uh, but love you, but scream at you type of guy. And, and it's a guards game. So I, I think if Illinois guards can play well, they have the capability of, of winning uh, a few games. The what, what's the name? The Meherin guy from Arizona. I'm going to put him on the big screen. I haven't watched a lot of games from Arizona and would like to watch them. I think they're fascinating. And then always just the mid majors that you maybe catch a game or two here because you're watching a lot of college basketball, but now they're on the big stage. Uh, you, you have some, you know, UAB is going to be interesting to watch. Chattanooga playing Illinois is going to be interesting. Those are the teams that you, you, you tune in or, you know, you're on your phone when you're in class and you're supposed to be doing calculus and, and you see that the score is tight. So you, you pop up that March Madness app uh, on your phone real quick. Uh, those are the fun, fun ones uh, to do. I don't know why you just called me out there, coach. That, that felt a little bit insulting. Well, if you're I, not doing, if you're not doing it, I'm, I, I, I am really down on you. If it, I mean, calculus is 180 days, NCAA basketball is just one or two. So there's priorities. And I hope your calculus teacher doesn't listen to this podcast, but um I, I'm going to have that March Madness going and teach from my desk. So, Josh, it wasn't a shot at you. It was a, it was a shot at everybody here in America. Yeah. Like, that, that's yeah. what everybody Every does. They got, they put like four laptops together at lunch. You, 
Everybody's crowded all over the lunch table. That's what March Madness is all about. I'm that guy who helps people understand how to sign into March Madness for the next day or two. <laughs> Can you write my excuse note to my psychology teacher if he's listening right now? A- absolutely. You're excused uh, for the next two days. Um, absolutely. <laughs> so with a team like Iowa, they're playing really well, and, and Keegan Murray is just – is something else to watch. I watched him play. You you were there too on Saturday uh, in the Big Ten semifinal in Indianapolis. Is it not if you get hot? It's when you get hot, and they're hot right now. Do you see them making a run, or and they they got a decent draw with Providence in that second round potential matchup? You know, it's interesting with with teams getting hot. Because you, you mentioned earlier Virginia Tech. Uh, you would think that staying, getting hot and staying hot is, is going to happen. But you wonder, too, if a team uh, that, that made a run, Iowa, four games, if their legs are gone, you know, if they peaked a little bit too early. You know, Keegan Murray can flat out shoot the basketball. When you have good shooting, uh, you're capable of winning a, a game or two. The question is, can you sustain that over over six games? Uh, Virginia Tech shoots a lot of threes. Uh, they they played four games in in their tournament to win the ACC tournament. So on one hand, you're like pick the hot teams like Virginia Tech to the Sweet Sixteen, very easy to pick that. Uh, Iowa to the Sweet Sixteen. So in one of my wild brackets, I believe in a bracket in te- of integrity. You know, you pick one and you put it in all the major ones. So all, all the major ones, I have my bracket of integrity. But then I play around with a couple scenarios in one of the scenarios i was a final four team because i think they're just hot and you get a kemba walker effect right when when yukon wins and and walker is just hot for three weekends in a row is that virginia tech is is that iowa i'm trying to think who else is coming in extremely hot uh in in the tournament uh that has happened in the past what's that Uh, maybe a tennessee yeah tennessee winning the sec but there's also been cases where teams have come hot and, and they, they left it in the conference tournaments too. So that's what makes the game so exciting. Let's, but before we get your picks about the final four and who you think is going to win, let's talk about Duke a little bit. You know, you have the, the coach K kumbaya, you know, getting mad that UNC isn't, isn't, you know, celebrating him and, and whatnot, but just, what do you see in this Duke team? If you if you've watched, uh, you've probably watched more Duke basketball than me. But do you think this Duke team has a has a chance to win it all, or they're just better teams? Yeah, I do. I mean, they've beaten Kentucky, they've beaten Gonzaga throughout the season. The question for me is, can they handle the pressure of trying to win it one last time for Coach K? And you would think that they're young enough. They've played a lot of basketball. It's just another game. But Coach K is a legend, uh, whether you like him or, or, or don't like him. I liked him early uh, when he was building a program and then starting to win. And once he, he won a lot and acted like he was, you know, the king of basketball, I didn't like him. And, and so I'm ready for, for him to have a very happy retirement. He's done a lot for college basketball. I have a lot of respect for the way he runs a program. He just won too dang much uh, for me. And, and it's time to go. I happen to think what has happened, losing in the ACC, losing the last home game, I think the pressure is so immense on, on these guys, and they haven't handled it well in the two times you could send Coach K off, his last home game, his last ACC tournament, uh, you lose. I think at some point uh, a team's going to be close enough and Duke's going to tighten up and lose. Uh, so um, 
I, I think that as a fan, I don't want, I don't want it to happen just cause it's like, you know, it's that, that winning, you know, when a team wins too much, but it's interesting too, because there are all kinds of factors that go into basketball other than just playing. I think they're very talented. The, the Bonchero kid, if I said that right, is just fantastic player. Keels is, is nice. Uh, they are very capable on the court of stringing six wins together. And it wouldn't surprise me if they play to their best that they cut down net. I just think the other factors uh, are, are too big and the other teams are, are they're not so dominant that uh, they can afford a letdown and, and still win. So coach, we're going to be on the topic of legendary coaches right now. And uh, speaking of legendary coaches, you are an assistant coach at Western high school down in, uh, I believe, Indiana. Yep. I don't know where in Indiana. Kokomo, Indiana. Kokomo, Indiana. Back-to-back uh, -back conference champions. Congratulations. How did that season go this year? Thank you. We had we had an interesting year. We, we thought uh, we graduated our career-leading scorer. Uh, we graduated a three-year guard who was uh, really good at getting downhill, and we had a defensive rebounder, specialist, screener, four-year starter uh, that we had to replace. We had a really nice – uh, D three athlete coming back. We had a six, eight center coming back. So we thought we were going to be good, uh, but we thought maybe if we can get 13, 14 out of this group with losing that kind of experience, we'd be good. And we ended up with 13 and, and we lost a game, uh, a team, uh, with sickness and COVID had to cancel. And we, we might've had a shot to win in that one. So we were very close to our goals. Uh, it was weird cause we started off, uh, fast and then we, we kind of hit a wall towards, towards the end and lost some real close games. Uh, down the stretch, despite winning the conference, we got beat uh, by the sixth ranked team in the state in, in, in sectionals uh, in a late, uh, they made a late run at the three minute mark uh, in a tie game. So a lot, you know, we have really good, good young men. They, they buy into our culture. Uh, they, they, they practice hard. We have no issues on and off the court with, with the guys. We just weren't able to string together enough games. We've went 17, 17 um, and, and sandwiched around two 13 win seasons. So, you know, 60 wins in, in, in four years, a sectional title two years ago, two conference titles back to back. Uh, we feel pretty good about uh, where we're at as a program. Thanks for bringing that up. <laughs> I, uh, it, it very proud of what we do at Western. Uh, Brian, before we let you go, um, it, let's just get real quickly, your final four and, and then your pick to win the tournament. Yeah, I think Gonzaga makes it. Um, I, I think Texas Tech is the team to, to watch there if, if Gonzaga doesn't make it. Uh, I do not think the number one seed will make it uh, in the East. Uh, I'm going to lean with Kentucky. I think o Oscar Sheboy is just going to be that rebounding I talked about. Uh, I think in close games, he's just dominant on the board. I think Kentucky gets through the East. Uh, in the South, uh, I think there's going to be an upset here. It's going to be Illinois or Villanova. I'm going to go with Villanova. I like Jay Wright. I like the Gillespie kid. Uh, it's a guards game. I think they have perimeters who really play fundamentally well. Uh, Arizona is the most talented team in, in that, set, uh, but they uh, struggled for a year or two. Uh, I think the pressure of the tournament, uh, they're talented. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Arizona. And again, I'm rooting for Illinois because I, I think uh, they have the guards, but I'm going to go with Villanova there. And in the Midwest, I think Kansas, that's the weakest uh, of, of all. I think, um, I think your Wisconsin Badgers uh, have had a lot of close games. Uh, I, I don't know uh, if Johnny Davis can string four or five together, four together to get to the final four. 
Uh, I think Providence has also won some close games. I don't think, uh, and I think Iowa's been on a hot streak. I think they're going to run into some problems and Auburn struggled down the stretch. So I think Kansas is the one uh, to get there. And, and I, I'm going to pick Gonzaga because everyone's kind of down on them and they don't think they're as good, even though they're the number one overall seed, everyone's thinking they can't win a tournament. And then the year when they think they can't win it, I think they come through and, and win it. If it's not them, um, Kentucky. And I don't like saying that being an Indiana guy. If you're right, you're right. But you're not right. Yeah. Uh, coach, we tend to be, we tend to be kind of the Seinfeld of sports podcasts. We kind of get off topic a lot and it sure. comes about nothing. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go off track a little bit here. So it, it's basketball related. We don't want to bore you to death with a bunch of college basketball. I know you, I know you don't like it a lot, Um, <laughs> but throughout you you've been watching basketball games your entire life you've been you've been to hundreds if not thousands of games uh best atmosphere you've ever been any game just a specific game that you you vividly remember man i i i'm a big you know i obviously the indiana connection i i think there's been some really great games some indiana purdue games um at assembly hall just outstanding fantastic uh time um ncaa tournament games have been good even first round and second round uh, games uh, ha have been outstanding I, when um lucas oil hosted a, a sweet 16 four or five years back that was an outstanding atmosphere and i really hate to say this but but if you want great atmosphere go to Mackey arena those fans are absolutely incredible i i think it might be one of the top uh, atmospheres uh in this area and then on bucket list, I want to get to the Palestra out in Philadelphia and watch some games out there. There's a lot of places that I would like to go uh, that, you know, uh, right now I, I don't go because I'm, I'm teaching and coaching, but maybe in my retirement days, I can take, take some trips and, and go see some atmospheres. But our two main schools here in, in Indiana are just fantastic uh, atmospheres. And then the, the, the best one is Hinkle uh, overall, uh, traditionally with the Indiana high school tournament being played in there, the Hoosiers uh, movie, uh, Milan winning in that building. And it's just, I'm, I'm, a, I like the old, old buildings. Uh, I loved old Comiskey park. Um, uh, just a, a great spot. I remember when I used to get Italian sausages down the third baseline underneath the, you know, the, the lower deck and walking the catwalk, uh, and sitting in the upper deck in the outfield, just, I, I love the old parks. I love Fenway. I've been to Fenway. It was old Yankee stadium, obviously with the Cubs fan. I like Wrigley. So I, I like, I like the venues that have some history. And so that's the Palestra that's Hinkle Fieldhouse, Mackey and assembly hall have been around. I, I really enjoy, you know, the new parks are nice because they're just really fan friendly, but there's something about those old, old places that really bring out atmosphere, both in basketball and other sports. You, you talked about atmosphere. Uh, you know, there's a lot of debate, especially in the beginning of the season and more so in college football about the neutral site games. You know, I, I'm against it because, you know, I, I think just being just I, I think the college at a big part of the college atmosphere is because of the fans, because of just kind of the energy playing in in a in a uh, in almost like a hometown advantage kind of a thing what what are your thoughts on just having neutral site games at the college level i'm with you i don't like them um 
college sports are be, are meant to be played on college campuses. Um, the fans deserve it. Um, I know a game at, uh, you've been on Banker's Life or Lucas Oil, football or basketball. Indy's a great town. Um, and, and a lot of schools do that so they can get ready to play in the tournament where all these games are going to be in some of those bigger NBA arenas. But I'm a traditionalist. You know, you guys are, are young. You, you remind me of young me. You love sports for all the right reasons. Um, and I applaud that. Uh, and, and that's why I like talking to you guys. Yes, it, tradition matters. And, and you get the tradition at the stadiums and at the, the, the arenas on campus. Uh, I do not like uh, the neutral site games. I wouldn't mind one or two one or two here or there i don't mind those um what are they called the the tournaments you know like the maui and and all of those those are kind of nice experiences for players too so if you're going to go in a non-campus arena have it be that kind of thing but if you just play a, a game you know at um you know the united center uh just to play a game at the united center to get your alumni there or whatever i i would prefer you know freedom hall host those games Lucas oil in the past. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not a fan. I'm with you hundred percent on that. And, and I think part of the problem is that they all for the neutral site games, they always stick the more historic rivalries, the better matchups because it's yeah. a better ratings thing. But I think that even that waters it down because if you have, I think it was like Texas, Texas tech and college football, they played at AT&T makes a lot of sense, but I'd like to see what that, that, atmosphere would be like at texas at texas tech and and because there's talk there's talk of moving the bucket game the iu purdue game to to lucas oil and and i'd I'd, i mean i don't like going to uh ross aid stadium in in west lafayette but i'd rather go there and be uh the visitor um yeah I, i just think college sports the atmosphere is so 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 awesome that um i would like to see those games limited it's truly unmatched, and you, you talk about tradition. Uh, the, the high school here, Warren, uh, it was a very basketball traditional school, and now now that's all gone. It, you can kind of see, you could still see it with Indiana, but what is it? And it, it's building up to. What is your favorite IU tradition? Football, basketball, baseball, whatever it might be. If it's a Tonsoni tailgate that I've been to. <laughs> Yeah. I, I can say I've been to one. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of good things. I think Indiana sports, um, ha- has, has done, um, you know, I'm a big fan of the candy stripes. I, I know people are asking to get rid of those. They think those are a little outdated. Um, I, I like things like the walk. I've been at the tailgate a lot of times and welcoming people. I don't go to the walk. Um, but I think that's pretty cool for the football tradition little things like the flags at the under eight timeout. Um, th- those are things that when I was young in, in the eighties and going to college and in, in 87 championship, I was a sophomore, y- you grew up, uh, you guys are about to experience that and where you're going to school and, and, in in your life, uh, you grow up in with certain things and it becomes important to you. And I think Indiana does uh, a good job of that. And your fight songs matter to you and all of those traditions, uh, they grow on you over the years and you just look forward to them. I think we're just trying to get Nick to become a Hoosier at some point. <laughs> I think that, I think that's what we're trying to do here. He's Not a Cubs happy. fan though. That, that's, that's a good thing, Josh. He's a Cubs fan. 
I, that I'm not true. Not be, I will not be a Hoosier. I, I can tell you that. I'm with Jared and Alec Bo, Alex Boge, Bo, Bozich. I, I know Bozich. you are, and I'll forgive you. <laughs> Maybe you can come up for a Crosstown game. Maybe that's That would be great. That would be great. It's open up here. Uh, well, Brian, uh, we really appreciate you taking the time for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, keep up the good work, guys, and 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 keep enjoying sports. It's it's a big part, and it, it keeps you going. It has for me for over forty years uh, uh, since I was uh, a little bit younger than your age. But it, it's it's great. You'll you'll experience a lot of great things, and I wish you nothing but uh, the best. And if you ever need me for a guest, or you ever need me for anything, you let me know, Josh. We are going to be working together down the next few years, uh, and you're always welcome out at the tailgate. All right, we appreciate it. All right, peace. Once again, our thanks to Brian Tonsoni. You can follow him on Twitter at Sony, S-O-N-I 42. Uh, he does great work for Delphi Bracketology and the Assembly Call podcast uh, for Indiana. Um, so if you have time, make sure to uh, check him out on Twitter and check out all of his great work on the Nick, website. Before we go, Nick, before we go, how about we do a bracketology thing next year? Uh-oh. Wow, Wisconsin uh, one seed, the rest doesn't matter. There you go. Uh, so, Josh, let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about uh, Chicago sports. Uh, something we have, going on? Yeah, it's something we haven't uh, done together here quite in a little bit on the record. Um, I recorded a podcast just myself talking about the Bears' new hirings of Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus, um, and we haven't done a podcast uh, since the Bears' clean house. We have Ryan and Matt, the sequel. Josh, uh, just your thoughts on uh, Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflus. So far, so good, I would say. I mean, they're, they're, they're trying to change the culture. They're, they're, there seemed to be a lack of culture with the first go-around of Ryan and Matt. I think that the culture was just a bunch of booms and a bunch of uh, club dub locker room celebrations, and there was nothing on the field. That there was there there was not not like a good swagger on the field. Uh, I, I think, and I'm dude, I'm like a Bears fan every time. I'm every it, it that it's a new dawn here. We got rid of Khalil Mack. We got rid of Eddie Goldman. Won't be surprised if Robert Quinn goes. Uh, I think, I, I think things are looking up right now, and and they're not trying to say, all right, we're gonna be competitive this year. No, they're laying out a system where we're going to have draft picks. That's that's where we were we were handcuffed. No draft picks early on in the in the draft. I think it's going to be a process, and everyone's going to know it's a process. We're not going to win year one. We're not going to win in year two. But year three, we'll be we'll, we'll be getting better every single year. Trying to get and uh, yeah, well, here I want to uh, play you something because I finally found out a way to do this. So let's do this. We're going to do this. This is what I did in the uh, episode. Um, all to uh, all to myself. I played around with it. I just, uh, 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 Ryan, uh, Josh, uh, George McCaskey has a message for you. Hold on. I got it. Ryan and Matt are our football guys. Ryan and Matt are our football guys. Well, Ra thank you, George. Ryan and Matt are our football guys. Um, and, uh, you know, just fan, just, I'm just it's a really good thing. Uh, we had, um, you know, we hired Ryan Poles because as George McCaskey says, I'm just a fan. I'm not a football evaluator. Thank you, George.
And so, uh, Josh, this is a great new, great new innovation. Hey, it is. Uh, you know, we're moving up in the world. This is what happens when you uh, you figure out some things on your own. Um, oh so, uh, let's talk about uh, Cleo Mack. He's, uh, he was traded um, for a second round draft pick this year, sixth round draft pick next year. To me, it came as a little bit of a shock. Um, but, you know, uh, here, here's where uh, like uh, people say, oh, we couldn't have got a first-round pick. You no, know, the Bears were not getting a first-round pick for Khalil Mack. Like, they just weren't. He's in his 30s, still got three years left on his deal. He, he had a foot injury, and, and especially being an edge rusher, foot injuries are nothing you really want to screw with. Um, but it's one of those things where – it's like it made sense. I'd rather take the dead cap hit now. The Bears will eat $24 million of Cleo Mack salary, and then his um, his uh, contract will be completely off the books. The Bears are scheduled to have about $126, $127 million um, uh, next offseason. So the one thing I, I, I will tell people is that Ryan Poles isn't screwing around. Bad rosters equal new general managers. You don't have a new general manager if you have an average or a good roster. So I just need that to be clear because people are like, well, uh, well, the Pace's only mistake was uh, Trubisky or, you know, uh, you know, look at all these great things he's done. He's built Hallis Hall. But like, no, you need new blood. We've had, we haven't had a playoff win since 2010. 2011 it's almost been a decade um since our last playoff win so i really am impressed with poll's willingness to just rip the band-aid off and, and start new and put his fingerprints all over it i've been impressed i, I seriously and I know we texted after the clue mac trade got announced i was a little skeptical but once once i figured out what 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 what, what would the benefits be I started to question. I started to search up, and and then and after looking, I'm 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 impressed with that move. Yeah, and especially like Tariq Cohen. Like I love Tariq Cohen. Like he was just he's just a fun football player to watch. But ever since that punt return, he got he got hit. You know, no nobody really knows um, what happened to his leg. He tore his ACL, but did he need a second surgery? Usually, especially. With modern medicine, you know, an ACL is about a year, about eight to six to eight to nine month injury. Um, you know, he hasn't played uh, since that week four game against Atlanta in 2020. Uh, you know, the Bears cut ties with him. They cut ties with Danny Trevathan. They've cut ties with Eddie Goldman. That just kind of shows that Ryan Poles, you know, didn't like this roster and he's doing what he can now because you know, people is like, oh, well, they have like $30 million in cap space. We should go throw it all at Devontae Adams. It's like, no, no, the Bears need a reset. They need, they need this year as more of an evaluation year to figure out what they have to keep and what they have in that group they have to keep. So then they can, because what is Khalil Mack doing for you next, this upcoming season? Like, what is your goal? Like, like what benefit is Khalil Mack to you if you win eight or nine games and barely squeak in, squeak into the playoffs as a seven seed? It just doesn't make sense. So, so I'm I'm gonna 
I'm going to harp on it again. Polls has been very impressive so far because of, because he's just shown a willingness to be patient with the cap situation this year to finally put the bears into a position where they can spend the money efficiently and they don't have to, you know, keep trying to, you know, kind of band-aid it all the way through until they get to the playoffs. It's all a process. And Trust it, the process. If, if there's, I know, I know you like to be Joel Embiid at times. I know you dunk like him. I've seen you play rec league basketball. Yes. You're just like him. Uh, yeah, but, Trust the process, and it's going to be a long process. They are not going to be a very good football team next year, and we have to realize, like I did with the White Sox from 2016 to 2018, 2019, that it's going to be better at some point, and you just have to trust Rickon and Rickon and Ryan Poles, because I did see that Rickon did call Ryan Poles to offer help, and all of a sudden the Bears to a fire sale. Yeah, and, and I think part of it is, like, like this roster wasn't good, and I, and I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. Bad rosters equals new GM. We have a new GM because we have a bad roster. Um, you know, I, I was kind of surprised the Bears signed defensive tackle Larry Obanjobi of the uh, Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, he did not play in the Super Bowl because he got hurt, um, I believe, against the Chiefs. But is like, you know, they're having a different philosophy change, you know, but like the thing that kind of resonated with me during the last couple weeks of the Bears making moves is how bad Nagy and Pace just kind of screwed over this franchise thinking they could make it work. Because last year they I think it was honestly a year ago to this date, March 16th, when they when they signed Andy Dalton. And it's like, what good does Andy Dalton do? I mean, it was part of the reason uh, I had with a uh, part of the reason I didn't like Nagy and Pace staying for this past season is because what are you trying to accomplish? Like every Bears team will be compared to 85. And then it was 2018 because of the historic levels. But the Bears are getting older. They've they missed on Mitch, which, you know, whether you're a truther or not, I don't care where you stand on Mitch. He's in Pittsburgh now, two year deal. He'll get a chance to win the job. But it's like they really screwed over this roster, Josh. Yeah, it, it, it was it was their effort to save their own jobs and the entire franchise suffered for could be two, three years for what they did. And ultimately that's what got them fired. They, 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 they tried their best. I understand that it's, it's a business and, and then you try to, you try to, you try to get that promotion. You try to get that next contract because everybody's working on that next contract. Even when you have a seven year contract, you're still thinking about that next contract by year three. Yeah. So, okay. Nagy and Mitch are both out the door with hindsight bias or whatever you want to use. Do you blame Mitch more? Do you blame Nagy? A combination of both? Where do you stand on that? It's hard to blame one specific player, honestly, if I'm going to be honest. But that one specific player is a but that one specific is, player is, is the quarterback, which is arguably the most important position in all of American sports. 
but he wasn't a like awful quarterback and and he was he was half blind in one eye and couldn't sniff out anything he was a average quarterback that just didn't fit in the offense and you you can't blame uh you can't Mitch Trubisky he got drafted by John Fox's offense and Matt Nagy took the job wait, 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 knowing... hear me out hear me out there's a problem with that it just all in itself John Fox didn't even want Mitch he didn't even yes. want Mitch he wanted Deshaun whether you know legalities or whatever but at the time Fox wanted Deshaun and Ryan Pace is like, no, Mitch drives a Camry, you know, a super respectable guy. It's like, but when Mitch played, he couldn't do the simple things right. But Nagy wanted Mitch by taking the job in Chicago. He knew that Mitch Trubisky was the franchise quarterback. I'll this push this wasn't go ahead. I'll, I'll push back on that because here's the thing: you take the job and you say you can fix Mitch. But you cannot tell me if you're Matt Nagy, you took this job because of Mitch. You took this job because it is the Chicago Bears. It is a blue-collar franchise. Whether you're a fan or, you know, there's a different perception about if you work in the league or you're a fan of the league. If you work in the league and the Chicago Bears job gets offered to you, you take it because that is one of the most storied, uh, historied franchises. So like Mitch Nagy said, he, he can say all he wants about fixing Mitch, but he didn't take this job because he believed he can fix Mitch. He took this job because it was the Chicago bears. Fair, but he still knew that Mitch Trubisky will be the quarterback. So he can't go and blame it on the quarterback. If he's the offense coordinator and the head coach. True. Yeah. Um, so, you know what? I didn't even want to get into a Mitch Nagy. Debate. It was just more of a spur of the moment thing. Let's talk baseball. The lockout has been lifted. Baseball is back. Uh, we talked to Connor McKnight uh, two weeks ago. I think it was great podcast. Make sure to check that one out. Um, you know, the Cubs and Sox are, are both in two very interesting positions. Let's talk about Josh. Let's focus in on the White Sox here first. Um, you know, they signed Kendall Graveman. They signed Joe Kelly. They re-up uh, Larry Garcia. They lost Carlos Rodon. They will likely trade Craig Kimbrell, except I had a problem with them picking up the option because simply I didn't think anybody, excuse me, I didn't think anybody would take on $16 million. But Josh, just what are your overall vibes of, uh, of what this team could be this season? I think the vibes, and it's been a week of spring training now or whatever you want to call it, it is spring training still, actually. Uh, it, it's been great just seeing on, on Twitter and Instagram and, and the reporters that are in the area, and Chuck Garfine for being there, Ryan McGuffey, all those guys that get a White Sox fan like, like they're in uh, Arizona with the team. Uh, it just seems like everybody's just so happy to be back and they're, they're excited because they know that this could be the year. I know the MLB power rankings don't mean jack crap when it comes to uh, today's March 16th when we're recording this, but coming out at number two right behind the Dodgers is, is exciting. And I know that I remember, what was it, four or five years ago, 
we were sitting at 28, 29. And it, it's finally a good time to be a White Sox fan. And maybe one more move. I, I'm all right with right field right now. I know we'll get into that. And, and one more starting pitcher, a bona fide starting pitcher. Could you need another starter. There's no doubt about it. It was like uh, Tony LaRusso mentioned it uh, the other day when he met the media. He was like, I'd rather lose a game than lose than lose a player. And I think, you know, a, a shorter spring training for a 162 game season. Yes, it is 162, but it's a more compressed 162. You're going to actually have scheduled double headers. You're going to have less off days. They're going to extend the season by three days. You're trying to make up six games by extending it three days. So, you know, I, if, if I'm a baseball team, whether it's the Cubs, the Sox, the Blue Jays, the Mariners, you know, the Rangers, whatever, I'm going out and signing every pitcher I can get my hands on simply because I don't know what the injuries are going to look like, especially with pitchers. You would hope they they have at least started to throw maybe you know opening weekend we see at least they get can they get at least through three 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 four innings right um but pitching it, it i i believe it is going to be a big concern just around the league yeah, yeah. early on in the season it will be but I'm still just trying to think of the White Sox right now. I think about Lynn, Giolito, and, and, and maybe Dylan Cease right now. I mean, right now, we're, right we're, now. we're covering Warren Baseball, and you'll hear our voices on YouTube instead of Spotify, wherever you podcast. And two to three good pitchers, starters, are, is good enough for high school, but not for the MLB. You need – Five. You need five. You make four gets you by. Five is a must at this point for the White Sox to be competitive in the AL Central, but not as much. But in the AL, when it comes to playoff time, yeah, and for purposes, yeah, <laughs> and I, and the one thing is, if you look at the White Sox, they only have three true starting pitchers in that rotation. You have Giolito, you have Lynn, you have Cease. And then you're going to throw Kopech in there. But Kopech hasn't done it before for an extended period of time at the major league level or really in the minor leagues because, you know, he, had, he, he blew out his elbow, I believe. You know, they signed Vince Velasquez. The bullpen is something that I'm very impressed with. Joe Kelly, Kendall Graveman, right now, Craig Kimbrell, Liam Hendricks, Aaron Bummer, um, those are a lot of good names. I, you know, you may only need a starter to go five innings because of just the firepower coming out of that pen at Tony LaRusso's disposal. But you need more starting pitching. But I also think you need a backup catcher. And hear me out because Sebi Zavala, okay. I trust him more than I trust Zach Collins. You know, Yerman Mercedes is he was a couple month wonder. Whatever happened to him? I have a I, I get the feeling that you know Grandal, especially with a 162 game season in a compressed amount of time, 
they're going to want to get him off his legs, you know, probably DHing a little bit more. One, because he's not that great defensively as a catcher. Um, but I, you need a trusted backup catcher. And, and I just don't see a backup catcher that I can trust right now in the White Sox system. Ever since James McCann left, I've been uncomfortable with a White Sox backup catcher. I love James McCann, and he deserved a starting role, an everyday starting role. I know Mets fans are not overly excited with him, uh, especially after last year. But I agree, they do need they need depth at the catching position. I don't think Zach Collins gives that to you. I mean, he'll give you a game here and there, but he won't really. He he's not that guy that when Grandal who could very likely could get hurt this year, just based on the White Sox in the past. Um, he's not someone I trust with a month's work, month's work worth of work uh, behind the dish. Yeah. And especially because of the 162 and a compressed, in a compressed schedule, you know, you're going to be moving guys around, you know, right field is probably, we talked about it a little bit earlier you know, with Vaughn and Sheets probably splitting reps. I, I don't think they make a move because I just don't think – because what are you going to make? Is it Conforto? Like, maybe, but I don't – I just don't see – I just don't see that that working real well because – see, I, I think part of the White Sox problem is and, – and just hear me out, and then I want your take on this. Because of all the injuries, the White Sox kind of had to put a rush on their position players like Vaughn, like Sheets, Collins definitely, because it was about time. Um, But that kind of hurt them because now you have all of these okay hitters. They're not great. They're not awful. They're kind of in the middle. And now you're trying to split at bats for them. But you have a bunch of players that, don't have positions. You got Abreu and Eloy. Those are more DH guys than like, sure, they've gotten a lot better defensively than what they are. But I mean, you're Tony LaRusso is going to need to find at bats for every single one of these guys because they're just, I, I just think they're that good of an offensive lineup. So they could very well win games on multiple occasions, 15 nothing. And that, that's my prediction. And they did it a couple times last year. But this team, when they get hot and with the bullpen and they just need some starters at, at, at this point, I know we've, we've already touched on that. But this team is going to be a top-hitting team in the major leagues. And best probably in White Sox history, probably. So, Josh, before we move on to the north side of town, you know, let's let's stay on the south side for one more thing. You you lose to the Astros. This offseason, did you get better enough to beat the Astros in a five-game series again? Oh, that is a that is a good question. I mean, there is no change, but but you took a team like the Astros, who has ample amount of uh, postseason experience, and a team with the White Sox, who had no postseason experience with a crowd in it. And I don't know if Oakland three-game series wild card 2020 really counts. 
I, I don't. Playoffs. You had Ricky Renteria. Atmosphere. It doesn't count. Uh, so I think this team will be more experienced and know know how to how to how to manage their emotions in a in a five game seven game series, whatever it may be. I think that it, it, it takes one year to get yourself acclimated to a playoff atmosphere where every pitch matters, every inning happens, every inning matters, every pitching change matters, matters, and every kiss begins with K um, and the whole nine yards. But I, I think I, I think they have put themselves in a better position because at the end of the day, you don't see starters going seven, eight innings very often in the playoffs anymore. You see them going four or five. And the White Sox bullpen is good enough to not only on a Monday for game one or Tuesday for game one, they're, they, they, they can go with Kelly and, and they can go with the three guys, three good guys, solid guys in the bullpen. But on Tuesday, they can go with three more, three different guys the next day who will be equally as good. That's where I think they'll be better in the playoffs. So we overused got a crochet. We overused yeah. crochet. We underused Kopech in the Astros series. I think Tony needs to get back back into playoff ball, and that's where he struggled. And Dusty Baker is just a really good manager, and the Astros were just a better team. They were a juggernaut last year. Shout out to Carlos Correa. Um, let's move on to the north side. Um, the Cubs are in an interesting position. You know, they traded away the core. Uh, July 29th, uh, 2021 was one of the saddest days on the north side in uh, quite a while. Uh, Rizzo gone, Javi gone, KB gone, KB signing a monster deal, Javi signing a monster deal, Rizzo is back in New York. It's just, I don't know how to feel about the old Cubs core playing in different spots. I went to Cubs Giants. Uh, me and some friends went to Cubs Giants when KB make a ret- made a return. It was a very emotional game uh, of, uh, just, just to see KB. Um, but Josh, I want to get you as an outsider's perspective. I do not think that uh, Wilson Contreras fits into the soccer into the Cubs plans long term. I, I, I don't think they'll be able to come to an agreement on an extension. I hope to be wrong, but just the way things have trended and, and some things I'm hearing, I do think Wilson Contreras will be traded eventually. Uh, so Josh, do you think it was a mistake uh, to not extend um, or to not, how do I want to word this? Do you think it was a mistake not, to put more effort into extending the Cubs core of 16? Um, this has been brought up multiple times in just conversations with people throughout just this offseason, actually, about bringing back Rizzo and Brian. No. And Baez and, and bringing the band back together. I've, I've no. heard, I just heard people, just friends talking about it, just talking with friends, and I disagreed with it. I, Me too. I, I, I said, I said, what were they doing from April to July? They weren't winning. They weren't winning. They weren't on pace to win a hundred games. It's not like they were, they were a team that was destined to win the world series. They, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but 
the core was was dying, and mm-hmm. and the best way to 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 kill the branch and restart is just swiping the core away. And I know that that was a terrible analogy, but they, they that needed to happen. It, it was like a band aid. It was pulling the band aid off. And I know Cubs fans will always will always uh, love those three guys because what they did for the franchise. You think of guys on the White Sox letting go. It's time to let go, or the Blackhawks actually, not the White Sox. It was time to let go with some of the guys like Jomerson and uh, uh, Seabrook ended up retiring, but trading Keith, and that was for different reasons. But it, it was time to finally let go and, and try to go in a new direction to be better and, and not create another core because they'll never it'll 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 they'll, they'll have another core, insane. but it just won't be. They'll that have core. another core. I mean, it, it, it was a great group of guys, and 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 you want to thank them for all they did. They they brought a world championship to the North Side of Chicago, something uh, no one's really done that no one has done in 108 years from that point. So. I think it was time to let go. So there's my long answer to a short question. I, I think, and I'm with you, you know, you talk about people bringing back Rizzo, bring back Bryant, bring back Baez, bring back Schwarber. It never, it never made sense because Jed and Theo gave the Cubs every opportunity to those guys and to those teams um, to – they gave them every opportunity to win. They gave them every opportunity to try to run it back. Uh, But, you know, that's just not how the cards played out. I think if we look back on, we revisit this 10, 15 years down the line, me and you will both be white. uh, We'll both be baseball fans um, still in 10 to 15 years. I almost just said almost white Sox fans. I Nope. I I think I I heard that. I don't remember that. That, that. That is being edited out of the podcast. Um, not being edited out. I am editing it out. But I, I think when we look at this down the road is that the Cubs would be, will be better off, I think, for doing this. You know, you know I'm just glad they picked a direction, kind of like Ryan Poles and the Bears. They picked a direction of, you know, you know just kind of, rebuilding this franchise and trying to get to that next championship team. And I think that's what more teams need to do. They need to stop living in the past and kind of just kind of rip the bandaid off and start in a new direction. We're seeing it with the bulls. Now they ripped the bandaid off with garden packs. Look at us now, you know, are they, are they a one seed? I don't think so. Are they a playing team? I think they're a little bit better, but whatever, you know, I, I think it's just better off that, you know, the team just picks a direction. Sure, it didn't work out. Sure, we wanted more. But I, I think, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, we just kind of have to kind of accept it and move on. Yeah, I'm, it's ripping off the Band-Aid, like I said. I, 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 I love, love long-term players in, in, in sports cities like Chicago. And I, 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 lo- I, found, I found a appreciation for what Bryant and Rizzo did. I not the biggest Javier Baez fan, but I appreciate what he did. Uh, but it's just ripping off the bandaid that Chicago sports fans in general just have a tough time doing. 
Yeah, and and I think that's that's because it's Chicago. Chicago, one of the most competitive sports landscapes in all of American sports. I I think you can agree to that. And it's just one of those things where it's like nobody likes to lose, except when it happens. And like when it happens, people don't like it. But when they finally come to the realization that these moves, these trades, these releases are better for it, I think that they they will they they will be better for it. Josh, do you have anything else before we go? I do not. It was a good podcast today. It was a good podcast. Uh, once again, our thanks to Brian Tonsoni of Delphi Bracketology and the Assembly Call podcast for joining us. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Pose underscore Josh at Nick Palazzolo 5. We do not know if there will be another podcast before next Wednesday, but if there is not, you can uh, catch me and Josh on the call of Warren Blue Devil Baseball on YouTube at the Blue Devil Radio Network is the channel. We will be bringing you varsity IHSA level baseball. It'll be Blue Devils. It'll be Palatine. We will get started Wednesday, the 23rd at four o'clock on YouTube. So make sure to join us there. We thank each and every one of you six listeners for listening. And for Josh, I'm Nick. Thank you once again for listening and enjoy March Madness.